Today is Tuesday, October 31st. Happy Reformation Day, everyone. October 31st is the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in the Wittenberg Chapel, and therefore sparking the Reformation. The title for our devotional is Alternatives to the Christian Hope. Yesterday, we discussed the Christian destiny and therefore the Christian hope. I've been saying throughout this campaign that our culture has a been-there-done-that posture towards the Christian faith. Our culture has in large part benefited greatly from the Christian values that have pervaded our culture in recently past generations. I don't want to give us rose-colored glasses and looking back at our history. We tend to think of it as a super-Christian American culture from the founding. simply isn't the case. Our culture was rather dark prior to the Great Awakenings. Uh, The promise of the Christian values on a cultural level has risen and fallen at various times in our nation's history. Now, however, those Christian values are waning, uh, rather rapidly, it seems. Along with the waning of Christian values comes the waning of the Christian virtue of hope. Instead of the Christian vision for humanity's destiny, our culture has largely accepted some alternatives. One is the secular utopia, I'm calling it. The vision of humanity's destiny in a secular utopian perspective is one of continued progress until we eventually reach a utopia of sorts. This was the promise of the 20th century modernism. Post-World War II, the economy was mostly up and to the right. Each subsequent generation had a better economic outlook than the previous. Global politics promised peace through the United Nations and diplomacy. Scientific advancements were making life easier on every front. Social programs were eradicating poverty and slowly, although painfully, but surely advancing justice. Marginalized groups have been gaining equality through Again, imperfectly, and not as rapidly as we had hoped, but gaining equality. As Martin Luther King Jr. has said, the arc of history is long and it bends towards justice. In the secular utopian perspective, much of this progress has been made without religious influence, or perhaps because religion has been relegated to its quote-unquote proper place, as a privatized, isolated aspect of the society that is to be kept separate from the secular culture. Mark Sayers calls this the kingdom without the king. The secular utopian dream maintains the Christian framework of virtue and values uh, while attempting to keep them without religious or spiritual components, without God himself, that means. Much of our culture's definitions of values such as justice, goodness, peace, human dignity are owed in large part to Christian influence in the Western world. Secular utopian vision of destiny attempts to progress in those values without the source of those values. The secular utopian vision of Humanity's destiny must ask themselves, if God isn't the source of these values and the driving force in propagating these values, then who or what is? The answer that many have turned to is simply us, humans, right? Most notably, we've turned to the systems that we humans have created, that is, politics. Sociologically and psychologically, politics has begun to map like a religion. People have rooted their identity in their political party because it provides them a definition of utopia. Both conservative and liberal political parties provide a picture of a utopian society, a a plan to accomplish it, and a hope that it will one day come about. And not only that, but also a community to identify with in pursuing it. The second um, alternative to the gospel of hope is what I would call just a secular dystopia. So we've talked about a secular utopia, now a secular dystopia. This one's the opposite. This is the nihilistic interpretation of humanity's destiny. In this perspective, hope is viewed as kind of a childish dream. It's not real. Be realistic. Humans are bad, the world is dangerous, and the problems we're facing don't seem to be getting any better. 
Lots of movies are made as prophetic warnings as a secular dystopia. They usually warn us that we what could happen if we fail to make appropriate changes now. Most common culprits of bringing about the secular dystopia are one, like an overpopulation and resource depletion. Think Thanos in, uh, in the Avengers series. Second, pandemic or other health crisis. This was a common refrain, refrain in the COVID years. Think movies like I Am Legend. <laughs> there is nuclear war. Nuclear war will destroy a great percentage of the population and then the environment. Fourth, technological takeover. AI uh, will someday rule the world. Think iRobot. Uh, fifth, aliens. <laughs> this one's a little far-fetched, but whatever. Uh, aliens are going to take over the planet. Not on Will Smith's watch, right? Think Men in Black, Independence Day. Oh, he's got a knack for those movies. Anyways, uh, six is like an environmental catastrophe. If we don't change our way of living, the population and the environment, degradation will eventually make our planet uninhabitable. Anyway, the idea is that the world will eventually fall into a dystopia, one way or another. The best we can do is to accept it and to resist it as long as possible. Both of these secular approaches to our destiny put all the eggs in the basket of humanity and in this life. There's no afterlife. There is nothing beyond humanity to live for. And so all of our hope is preventing a dystopia or creating a utopia. Both of these perspectives are honestly rather bleak. The third one I have to mention is spiritual enlightenment. Okay, Another destiny that's worth mentioning is it as it has arisen in popularity in our postmodern world, is the idea of spiritual enlightenment. Folks who claim to be spiritual but not religious often borrow ideas from different religions and blend them into an incoherent cocktail of religious ideas and practices that they like. One of the most common is borrowed from Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and framed as some sort of spiritual enlightenment. In this perspective, the path to Eliminating suffering and pain in the world is through enlightenment and following the Noble Eightfold Path from uh, Buddhism. That's like right understanding, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. By following this path and producing good karma over the numerous reincarnations, one can achieve nirvana, a state of ultimate liberation, peace, and freedom from suffering and pain and harmony with the world. In Hinduism, meditation is the central practice to achieve oneness with oneself, others, the world, and the universal consciousness. Similarly, the goal is to attain a state of liberation, or moksha, as one realizes their oneness with the universal consciousness, or Brahman. That's all fluffy language. It's lofty, and it sounds good, and that's exactly what it is, is it's, it's fluff. Sounds good on the surface, but it has become, and it has become incredibly popular in our culture. I suspect this is largely because it's new and it's different, while also keeping a lot of the hope that the Christian worldview holds to as well. Again, this is language that is appealing, but lacks real power to bring about a good desired end. In Christianity, instead of a blind hope and people achieving enlightenment, we have the all-powerful God, sovereign over the affairs of creation, moving history towards its desired end. And we have the assurance of Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead to ground us. 